You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. My guest this week, Lois Robbins, is an accomplished actress whose work spans theater, television, and film. She also hosts The Lowdown, her highly successful Instagram live program and podcast, where she explores voices inside and outside the entertainment industry. Lois also supports a number of important charities and causes, including breast cancer, plastic pollution, Alzheimer's, and lung cancer. I was a guest on Lois's Instagram live show a few weeks ago, and I'm thrilled to turn the tables on her here today. Lois, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. It's so great to see you again. So great to see you again, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and thank you for having me a few weeks ago on yours. Now, I have to confess, it was very difficult for me being interviewed by you a few weeks ago because I am used to being the one asking the questions. Haha. So today I'm back in my comfort zone and now I'm putting you in the hot seat. And I have to say, I'm a little terrified. (laughs) (laughs) It was terrifying. I know for us who like, who make a living or who like our job is interviewing people. It's just weird to be interviewed. Um, And I've done that with a few other people that I've talked to that are used to being on the other side of it. And it's hard. It's really hard. Definitely a little scary. Yes. (laughs) Well, let's start with something that's not so scary. Let's start with your work in the theater. Um, Now, I know you've performed on stage in many off-Broadway shows, and I was thinking about that in terms of your career in film and television, and I wondered if you could describe for us how theater makes you feel in comparison to your work in film and TV. Great question. I I don't think as an actor there's anything like live theater because it's such um, an immediate, exciting um, place to be. Uh, Every night is different because the audience is always different. And you get so much rehearsal time when you're doing a play. And for me as an actor, the rehearsal process is such an exciting time of discovery. And I love it so much. Um, But the difference is, is that it's much more tiring. Doing eight shows a week is not for the faint of heart. It's definitely Mm. exhausting. Um, And I sometimes used to say when I'm doing film and television, it's like a paid vacation in a way, 
Although, depending on what you're working on, you know, I've done quite a few uh, low budget independent films and that schedule is much more exhausting uh, because your hours can be very long. And the last film that I did, I was driving home at three in the morning thinking, oh, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, I just love working. And mm -hmm. uh, in whatever medium I'm working in, if I'm happy, you know, working with a great cast and a wonderful director, all the all the mediums make me really thrilled. And I'm sure they all have their pros and cons, as you were saying. They do. So you were you were raised in New York, right? I was raised out on Long Island. On Long Island. Okay. What yeah. town? In Hewlett Bay Park on the south shore of Long Island. Growing up in New York, I wondered, you know, um, Broadway, you had such close access to Broadway. And did you grow up going to theater as a kid? Absolutely. All the time. And I fell in love with it. And I always wanted to be in school plays. And that's when mm -hmm. I discovered I wanted to be an actor at the age of five. Wow. From being in a school play. I just, and my mother used to choreograph uh, shows for local community theater and for our synagogue actually and for Hadassah <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I used to watch her choreographing the show she was a definitely a frustrated actor um, so I think she was secretly I'm the youngest of four girls and she was definitely thrilled when I decided to run away and join the circus <laughs> oh wow now so wait do you remember what the show was when you were five years old Yes, it was uh, absolutely. It was a plague about the months of the year. And I was cast in the chorus. And the girl, a girl named Joni, who was cast as the month of April, had the most dramatic part because April showers bring May flowers and she had to cry on cue. And I would watch her like during rehearsals. I watched and watched and watched. And the day of the play, Joni got sick. And I walked up to Miss Vicario. I can remember this like it was yesterday. And I said, Miss Vicario, I can play Joni's part. I know the month of April. And she said, really, Lois? I said, yes. And she pinned the umbrella on me and out I went and cried on cue and got my applause. And I thought, yep, this is for me. That's the best story. I love it. Miss uh, April. What was your first Broadway show? Do you remember that? I can tell you about my first Broadway audition, which was for Martin Shinen because I was sitting in a coffee shop going through my music book and he stopped me and he said, uh, are you an actor, an actress? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, you look very right for um, something we're casting right now. I'm going to get you an audition. Now I was maybe 19 or 20. I had never auditioned for a Broadway show. I had no idea what I was doing. I was shaking like a leaf. This was not one of those great success stories. I walked in and sang something lame, like from Pippin or something like, join us, you know, leave us <laughs> yes. to flower. I had no idea what I was doing. I was shaking. I sounded awful. I walked out. I was crestfallen. I thought, I'm never, ever going to get a job, ever. That was that was like my big Broadway debut that didn't happen but um and actually well, sometimes you learn more from the things that don't work than you do from the things that do yeah. work right i had a couple of real i was never a good um live theater audition person it just mm -hmm. uh it was always really hard for me mm -hmm. I, and somehow or other i always got cast in television and film i guess because i was much better with the camera it wasn't until after i had my children that i 
I don't know, I got a confidence that I didn't have before and uh, started getting a lot of theater roles, but they weren't on Broadway. I, I went out of town so that I could get some good theater credits so that I could then be cast in New York in theater. And then I got Cactus Flower um, mm. at the West Side Theater. And that was the start of me doing much more theater work, which has been amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you remember though, back to the sort of you growing up, because I'm imagining you now as this little girl in April, playing April in the month's projection when you're five. <laughs> Do you remember though, you said you remember going into like with your parents or whatever, going into the city to see shows. Yes. Do you have any like, like specific memories of certain shows that you did see? I remember seeing Funny Girl, mm. which is hard to believe. I don't know how old I was. I was a ch really young. I, I don't know something about that show. Uh, I, I lifted me in a way. And I thought, I, and I found, I, I literally had that visceral feeling that you have when you go into a theater, the excitement of sitting mm -hmm. in a theater and the lights coming on and the, the curtain opening and the music mm -hmm. playing. I just, and I, I was addicted. I literally was addicted to it. And I, I knew, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I remember I was talking to Rosie O'Donnell once and she was talking about exactly that moment where you come in the theater, you're in your seat, you're holding the shiny little playbill and there's this anticipation. And that's like one of the most exciting moments, I think. Oh, in, no, like, nothing like it. I the energy is really high in the room and you're connecting with all this other energy. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people love theater for, for that reason. And there was also, you know, at that, 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 at that time, like the music, you know, the music starting to play, the orchestra mm -hmm. playing, I would just be like, oh my, the anticipation was so exciting. So as you've been a cast member in many shows, as you just talked about, are there any special moments that come to mind that you want to share with us? Any good stories, you know, behind the scenes stories about being in the theater? Um, I, this is kind of a, a, a great story. When I did Cactus Flower, it was with Maxwell Caulfield um, playing the doctor. And Max is a wonderful man, really terrific man. And it had been a while since I'd done a, a long run of a show. And um, it was a matinee day. And my understudy uh, wasn't there. They had given her permission to go home. It was a big birthday for her dad. And I was not feeling well at all. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through uh, the, to the evening performance? And Max said he had some powder that he brought with him from London. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Yeah. It, wasn't back, it wasn't a powder you snorted. It was okay. a, powder, a powder you drank. And um, he... He said, just drink this and go lie down, take a nap. But there was, we, I don't know. I don't know why we didn't have a cot downstairs. We won't tell that to equity. But anyway, I don't think there was a cot downstairs, but there was a bed on stage. And so he literally like tucked me in. He gave me the, I drank the powder. He came up. He was such a sweet man. He tucked me into this little bed. I took a nap between performances. And then of course I woke up feeling great and went on and did the show. Um, and I have to say, the one thing that I really learned about myself, and I think most actors will feel like this, adrenaline, no matter what. I know mm. even without drinking whatever that wonderful potion was he gave me. <laughs> I want to find out what that was. Yeah, yeah. adrenaline just, you, 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 you do it. You know, you get out there and the excitement of being out there would get you through anyway. But I just, I, I love, I love Maxwell Caulfield. He's a wonderful man. 
That's a great story. And yes, the adrenaline propels you through a lot yeah. of things you didn't think you could get through. Yeah, sure does. So Lois, if I were a big Broadway producer and I could bring any show to Broadway right now and I wanted you to be in that show, what would be your dream role and why? There are so many. I would love to do Sunset Boulevard. I think that would be a dream role. The, the Glenn Close, the role that Glenn yes, Close yes, did. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I loved that show. I loved that music. Uh, I loved that the actress's journey in that mm-hmm. in that role. And I um, I may not be quite old enough to do it, but I think I am actually. <laughs> sadly, wow. a little makeup um, they could little, make you look really makeup. old. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was a that was a very I loved that show. So I would say Sunset Boulevard. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Thank you. <laughs> and I think I'd kick ass in that role, frankly. And I've worked on that music, so. Oh, I think you would. Yeah. When I think of theater, you know, I think of the word community. And yes, we all know theater is a business, but there's also this incredible sense of community that these people are coming together and collaborating. You have your own community because you have this big following on Instagram. And I just wondered what your thoughts are about this idea, this notion of community and holding space for one another. And how does that feel for you, um, having had the experience in the theater world and and in television and film, but also now in social media? The social media community is a really interesting place. You know, people can be um, very judgmental as well as very supportive. And um, it's kind of a fascinating phenomenon that that I think has happened because pretty much anybody can be a celebrity on social media. Um, I think it can be a really positive, wonderful force when people are um, honest and kind and uh, and aren't out to you know get you. <laughs> Um, I'm very careful. I try not to be too political on social media because the one or two times that I have, I've gotten a lot of backlash for it. I don't like to edit myself generally, but I think it's um, it's something you, you sort of have to do a little bit if you um, you know if you don't want to make a lot of enemies out there. I don't know. I, I, I'm very torn about it, actually, Jen. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's a slippery slope. I mean, I had I had a guest on. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say who it was uh, a little while ago, and you know, we always promote the interviews, and uh, Facebook wouldn't promote this particular interview because my guests they deemed as sort of political, and they wouldn't promote the interview. Wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I guess this idea of community is a really it's a difficult it's a difficult time right now because we're so, our communities are so siloed, right? Yes. um, I'm not sure if I really answered your question. I hope I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean, yes, you answered it, but I I also just want to dig a little deeper because I just, that whole notion of community, I mean, you do have a lot of followers and I've, I've looked at their comments and they're very supportive of you and you're very supportive of them. Does that make you feel in any way like there's a sense of community and is that community like feeling any, even remotely similar to what you might feel in the, like the, the theater community? Well, it I guess depends on how we, you know, we're defining community. The community you have in your theater, you know, when you're doing a play or even after the show, when you go, you know, we used to go to like, um, um, I, I used to love to go there after the show because all your friends who were in shows, you know, all around would, would be there and we would all be talking about 
you know, not only theater stuff, but just a community stuff, you know, what family things that are going on in each other's lives. Um, and that those people really know you. The difference mm-hmm. with your um, Instagram or Facebook community is that some of those people don't really know you. Some of them do. But I, I think it's really beautiful when people who don't know me um, or reach out and uh, want to wish me well about something or asking me, you know, to, um, I don't know, send messages to people in their lives or, you know, say a prayer for them for -hmm. something that's going on in their life. There is a really beautiful sense of community in that way. Uh, And I do feel supported by a lot of my social media community. So in that way, it's, I guess, similar. Yeah. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In your podcast, you talk to lots of interesting people, and I have no idea why you asked me to be on it, but um, I was looking at your list of like who you have had as guests, and it's, it's, you know, it's a really amazing group of people. And I wondered, you know, so many, there have been a variety of topics that you've talked to people about. Are there any specific things that you've learned or been so inspired by or that made an impression. And I wondered if you could share some of those, like sort of a highlights reel for us, if you will. Absolutely. I right away I always I always go to Evie Pomporis because Evie, I, you know, when I do these interviews, and by the way, you were a very interesting guest and that's why you were invited to be on the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a dynamo you are. Um, Evie Pomporis was 25 years old when she had graduated from Secret Service training. And she was down at the World Trade Center when, when the World Trade Center went down. And she was in what the first building and ran out of the building and spent the next God knows how many days trying to save lives. I never would have known anything about Evie if I hadn't had the opportunity to interview her and read her book called Becoming Bulletproof. Mm. She is a little slip of a thing. Um, she's about five feet tall. She has been in the Secret Service for five different presidents. Uh, she tells her whole story in the book, and um, I just adore her. She wants to take me um, fly, what do you call it, skydiving. And I'm terrified. It's something that I've always like been terrified of, but I'm actually contemplating doing it because I feel like with Evie, I'd be very safe. Um, so that's one story. And uh, I, I really encourage everybody to read her book. Um, the other, one of the other people that I talked to that I loved was Tony Goldwyn. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to that one. That was amazing. He's such a good guy. You know, Tony is an incredible man. And um, by all accounts, coming from where he comes from, he should be just a brat. And he's so the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. He's the most grounded, uh, full-hearted, talented, uh, wonderful man. Uh, I'm very excited because I'm actually going to have an opportunity to work with him in about six months. Um are you allowed um, to talk about what it is? Project. Um, I can tell you that uh, I'm producing my first film, and Tony is going to be directing it. Wow. So I'm very excited about that. That, that is exciting. Yeah. Um, who else? Kristen Chenoweth. I mean, Kristen Chenoweth is just a ball of energy. Also, a very down to earth, wonderful, talented, amazing woman. I mean, I have to say, everyone I interview, I'm always surprised. You know, right now I'm reading Sharon Gless's book, you know, Sharon Gless, who's mm-hmm, on Cagney mm-hmm. and Lacey. Yeah. And uh, I'm interviewing her next week, and I can't wait to interview her because her book is incredible. And I'm learning so much from doing these, these uh, podcasts and interviews, so I'm having a blast. It is really fun. And I feel like every time I do it, I'm just so inspired by the person that I'm talking to. And I I learn so much, but I'm also so inspired. Yeah. All right. Well, talking about philanthropy, I want to talk about that now. And I want to talk about what philanthropy and charity means to you personally, because I know that you are also a very giving person. You know, I grew up in uh, a family where my parents were extremely charitable and, um, and made it very clear to us that we had a responsibility. We were very lucky and that we had a responsibility to give back and to be uh, community minded, civic minded. Um, it was a big part of our household. My parents also, um, I'm Jewish and uh, my, my parents believe very strongly in giving to Jewish charities because they felt that nobody else other than Jewish people give to Jewish charities. So they were very involved with UJA. They used to lead missions to Israel. Um, they were very involved with our home, with our synagogue at home, very involved in lupus uh, because my sister has lupus. Um, I mean, they were, they had a list of charities. So for me, um, it was just in my DNA and, um, I always wanted to make my parents proud, frankly, and and um, it just made me feel good. So, but I, it's not only you know giving to the charities themselves. For me, I've gotten an enormous amount of gratification by my father. Always used to say, "Also, charity begins at home." Mm-hmm. So I I have always um, I'm not going to say who they are, but a friend of mine who uh, her daughter was in a a public school. And uh, she was in New York and she really wanted her to go to a private school. And my husband and I had two children at that school and my husband is on the board. And we made sure that um, this girl could have an education at this school and we raised our gift. Yeah, we did a special scholarship so that she could go to school. We also, my son rode crew in high school and a friend of his who uh, came from a very poor family, was at um, a state university and really wanted to go to a private college. And we paid for his college. Uh, for me, that kind of giving, when you see the result of what you could do for another child, so I'm getting a little verklempt. <laughs> mm. um, it just, that just makes me so happy. And um, 
and I've watched these two kids grow up and they're doing such amazing things and it, it, it just fills me. Um, yeah. So that, that's the kind of stuff that really is meaningful for me. That's beautiful. You know, you really do put your, your money and your, your energy where, you know, when, in your beliefs. And I think that's so important. Mm. Now, how do you decide what charities are important to you and what causes you're going to support? Well, you know, oftentimes it's uh, very, very personal for me. Um, obviously I got involved with the BCRF and the Dupin Breast uh, Center because I'm a breast cancer survivor. And um, But I had been supporting BCRF even before that. Um, my mom had been diagnosed with very late stage breast cancer. She was 85 at the time and she didn't even need treatment. She had a lumpectomy and went on with her life. Uh, she lived to be a hundred by the way, but wow. Um, yeah. Some good genes in that yeah. family there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, but I had been supporting it even before because I'm the youngest of four girls and the statistics of somebody getting breast cancer are so high that I just felt as a woman, it was always an important charity to me. And then, of course, I had my own diagnosis. So that's been a very personal journey for me. Um, and then my sister has lupus. So I've been a big supporter of lupus for a long time. My father had lung cancer, so been very involved with lung cancer mm. research. So those three charities uh, have been personal to us. But other charities are because, you know, when, when you ask people to support your charity, obviously you have to support theirs. And, um, and so I help, you know, support friends and their, and their charitable uh, giving. And then there are certain boards that I've been on that um, I look at. I'm also very involved with my synagogue. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's really important, especially right now with what's going on in the world. Absolutely. Um, we support all Jewish charities, um, mm -hmm. all non-Jewish charities, <laughs> but uh, many. And um, yeah, I mean, it really just depends on, um, I, I even, I mean, I give money to, um, you know, little hosp hospitals for children. Um, when I watch a commercial on television and I see, mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. the one that uh, Marlo Thomas's father? St. Jude's. St. Jude's. I support St. Jude's every month. Um, little, you know, things like that, that I just feel like my, my little bit that I can give to even to that, um, just makes a difference. So wherever I feel I can make a difference, I'm happy to give. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned this idea of, you know, your friends, you're supporting your friends, they support your charitable endeavors and you support theirs. And there's kind of a quid pro quo. Mm. I find that so interesting because I've seen that happen so many times and no one has really talked about that yet on this podcast. But I find that really interesting. So there is kind of this like unspoken understanding where, hey, I'm going to come to your event and I'm going to support it and you're going to come to mine. Is that right. kind of what you're talking yes. about? Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Like I'm very also very involved with uh, Crohn's Foundation with the CCFA mm -hmm. because my niece has Crohn's. Um, but yes, every time you every time you ask somebody to write a check for you, you must be prepared to write to reciprocate. I mean, I think that is, and it's righteous. I th I believe that you shouldn't ask unless you're also willing to give. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's the way I was raised. My parents always said, don't ask unless you're prepared to give. And that's the way it is for me. So. Yeah. Thank you for that. As I said, that hasn't really, we haven't talked about that aspect of charitable giving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because I do think so many people, you know, are impacted by that um, and, and, and sort of respect that unspoken, you know, sort of right. rule, I guess. 
Now, you know, what advice would you give the listeners here or me? I'd love advice, some practical words of wisdom that you could share about um, about this notion of giving, of, of being, you know, an, an activist or being a charitable person. I don't know if it's advice necessarily, but I just think that um, if you're in a position to give, I, th- I think that you must. It's not even optional. Mm-hmm. You know, we, if if you're lucky in life, you have to you have to have an you know an open hand, an open pocket. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and if you can't give uh, money, give your time. Um, when I was younger, and I uh, couldn't, I didn't have the money to. I mean, I. It was a different situation. You know, the money wasn't readily available to me. I gave my time. I used to read uh, for the blind at the at the lighthouse. My my mother's father, my grandfather was blind. And so in my early 20s, I used to go to the lighthouse and I helped a woman keep her job for, I think it was like two years. I used to go and read for her twice a week. So there are things like that you can do that if you can't give the money, give your time. Um, you know, if you have time to do both, do both. Mm-hmm. But it's also because do it because not only does it make you feel good, and I think it's really important, um, especially in the entertainment business where we're so centered on ourselves so much of the time to be, get outside of yourself and do something for somebody else. Just, it just, it, you, you lift, you lift somebody else and you lift yourself. I think that was perfectly said. Thank you. You know, the other thing that is, really top of mind these days is just the concept of kindness. Um, you know, what everything the world's gone through the last four years, just kindness has become such an important concept. And um, I wondered, what are some of the latest random acts of kindness that you've performed? I mean, I feel like that's sort of on a daily basis in a way. I, when I, when I'm in New York, I never pass a homeless person with either um, giving them money or going and getting them a cup of coffee and a muffin or a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like those people are God's angels and we're all being tested all the time. And I just have this thing about that. Like I, I don't like walk. And it, sometimes I'm walking and I just have my phone and I don't have money, but I'll have a credit card in there. So I'll, I can't give them money. So I'll run in and get food. Um, you know, we just can't pass the, these. It, the, these are such hard times people are in. This pandemic has destroyed so many people. There are more homeless people on the street now in New York. I mean, I know I drive by, you know, in LA, you look at the tenth city. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me that people are living like this. It's just so unfair. Um, so, th- I mean, for me, that's, that's one thing that I always do. And um, I don't know, just, um, I think it's hard. Sometimes people walk on the street and they don't make eye contact Mm-hmm. And I think just smiling at someone, just letting them know you see them is uh, so often, you know, especially again in New York, you get into an elevator and people don't, I always say hi, hi, mm-hmm. have a great day. You know, people just want to be acknowledged, I think. I think that the nicest thing you could do for somebody is just acknowledge that you see them. I think that's perfect. I love that. It's hard with masks, but I've learned now to smile with my eyes. Exactly. Practicing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, if I could wave a magic wand and grant you three personal wishes and three big universal wishes, 
what would they be? And the reason I'm breaking it up into three and three is because I had James Monroe Eigelhart was on this podcast and I asked him the question, if I could grant you three wishes as your genie. And he said, well, that's so not fair because, you know, I want to say world peace and the big stuff, but I also want personal stuff. So I said, right. okay, you get six wishes, three personal and three big. <laughs> what would they be, Lois? By the way, I interviewed him as well and he is so wonderful. I love he's him. The best. Yeah, yes. He's the best. Okay. So my three personal wishes Oh, my goodness. I have three beautiful grandchildren who are two, one, and um, six months old. Mazel tov. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be here to see them all get married. Mm. That's my first wish. It's interesting when, when you know, I'm going to deviate a little bit from your question for a second, but, you know, when you have children, I think your greatest wish is that you want to be here to see them achieve all the milestones in their lives. And then you get to a certain age and you, you start to have grandchildren. You're thinking, oh my goodness, how many milestones will I be here for them? Mm -hmm. So that's been really very heavily on my mind. So that would be my first wish to see them under the marriage canopy. <laughs> um, okay. So the second one will be for my personal I want to do a television series before I leave this earth as a, a re regular, a regular mm -hmm. role in a television series. Um, I really, really would like to achieve that. And um, so I'm asking Jeannie, please. Um, <laughs> it's not too late. I've worked very hard. I deserve that. <laughs> so that's a second wish. Third personal wish would be to see all of my children um, and my, all my loved ones just have everything that they want and need and have love and good health. Um, yeah. And long life. So those are the three personal wishes, three global wishes. I'd like to see the world, the world restored to health and this pandemic to be over. Um, I'd like to see the end. I mean, it sounds so corny, but it's true. I just would like there to be no poverty and no hunger in the world. Um, there's no ch there's no reason that any child should not have a, a meal to look forward to, a good warm meal to look forward to. Um, and obviously, the, the, like the end of war, I'd like to see... Um, I wish there was not so much hatred in the world. I'd like to see, uh, I hate to say world peace. It sounds so corny, but what more do we want? I just want, mm -hmm. I would like to see world peace and the end of hatred. Uh, I'd like us to all just love each other and accept each other for who we are. And uh, yeah, I'd like peace. <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you so much. And I wish you love and light and peace. Thank you so much, Jen. I wish the same for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at 
Broadway Gives Back podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit vpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.